Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. We have been in a series called The Bride that has, I mean, really, really been reaching the men, particularly. You know it, but I would like to say this. I've become aware of the fact last week I was smacking, talking about getting guns in our bookstore, which I, I'm seriously not opposed to that if that's legal. I think it'd be really cool to go in there and be like, Jesus loves you t-shirt right next to like an AR, you know? I mean, it's, I don't know if this offends you, but stick around a little while. I might have another opportunity. The reason why I do that, though, is because there is an actual spirit of confusion that's trying to attack our younger generation where they don't know if they're masculine, feminine. They don't know what they're into. And I'm like, man, bind that devil of hell. Men should be men. Okay. Men be a man. You know what I'm saying? Go out and just blow stuff up sometimes. When's the last time you shot an exploding target? If you say never, you need to get out, buy a high powered rifle, take a safety course. And learn these things, you know. Be a man. When's the last time you cut yourself with a knife, man? I mean, where, if you've if you got hands that look like a woman, we need to have a come to Jesus talk, okay? People say, I can't believe this pastor's saying this. No, I'm telling you, this spirit of confusion is real. It's from hell. God made male and female. He is well pleased with a, with a caring, soft-touch woman. But he didn't make man to be this soft-touch little dainty person, Okay? tell you jesus fashioned a whip he was a man men be men say amen amen so i and then women be women stop trying to be a man you're not a man you're a woman embrace the fact that you are more beautiful than any man will ever be men are not made to be beautiful things we are made to be rugged scars all over us Hair missing, hair in places hair shouldn't be. One generation removed. No, I'm just joking. We're wild. But women, you're, you're beautiful. You're, you're dainty. You're fragrant. You're loving. You're caring. Men are like, suck it up. Women are like, come here. And the kingdom of God is built on both of these principles. Are you with me? Are you happy? Are you excited that, that God made you you? Yeah. Amen. All right. I just read this article of two men that identify as women that won first and second in a track competition. Yeah, exactly. So for men, if you've always been terrible at sports, this is your season. And finally get that goal. <laughs> The things you never thought would actually be news. Anyways, if you don't realize we need a miracle in this nation, then wake up. But we've been in a series on the bride. I started with the covenant of, to one and the realization that everything in the kingdom of God, every promise in this Bible is a promise made to you that you can access through faith. Say faith. The Bible is very clear says that if you don't have faith, you are not pleasing to God. Who in here wants to be pleasing to God? So 
rise up, grow up, and realize that God is not your sugar daddy. He's not just going to give you something because you cry long enough about it. That, that the kingdom of heaven works and operates on the realms of principles of faith. That you trust God, you believe God, you take a stand for the things of God, and you sanctify your life to the Lord. Amen. That does matter. Yeah. The same person that authored the gospel of grace that people take to extremities is the same one that wrote the chapter in Galatians about the works of the flesh. That if you do these things, you will go to hell. So God didn't come and give his son so that you could live in sin and get a bypass. He came so that by the blood of Jesus, you could sever the power of sin off of your life and live in a dimension you couldn't live at before. You believe it? Shout amen. That's transformation. That's consecration. There's a covenant for you. But the access to that point is through the shed blood of Jesus, the humility to say, I need God in my life every day. The willingness to repent when you screw up because people screw up. Repent, say, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't want to live like that. Please wash me, please cleanse me, and give me the power. As the Bible says, he gives you the power and the desire to live the life that he's called you to live. So if you believe it, shout amen. amen. All right, secondly, we talked about purity. This world is definitely tainted. Everywhere you look in the world, there's sin. There's things that come against you. That's why when John the Baptist said, he that comes after me, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes or take off his sandals. Uh, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Say, and fire. And then it goes on to say, Luke 3.18. Um, he gathers the wheat in and he burns the chaff. And that's very specific because what he's showing you is chaff is a part of wheat. It's not something separate than wheat. So if you're going to get saved, you're the wheat. Say the wheat. So you are gluten. The kingdom of God is not gluten-free. Oh, just got that one. I'm going to eat pizza today to celebrate that revelation. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. What's, what is gluten? It's everything. It's what tastes good in food, okay? Take it out. It's okay. You will eat less. You will lose weight because you don't enjoy eating anymore. <laughs> I am just teasing. There's great gluten-free stuff out there. I just haven't found it yet. <laughs> but the kingdom of heaven, you're the wheat. And chaff is a part of wheat. So what he's saying there is there's a part of you labeled the chaff that needs to be consumed by fire because it eliminates the harvest. What is chaff? It's a dry, scaly substance that grows on the outside of the grain, that as they dry the wheat, the chaff comes off. They try and get it blown out of the wind by throwing the, the, the wheat up with a, a winnowing fan or whatever they call it, and the air pushes the dry chaff, and then whatever is not, they flash it through fire to burn the last bit of chaff off so that they can grind it and make pure bread. The fire of heaven exists to burn the stuff of this world out of your life, the unforgiveness, the impurities, the lust the drive, the, the things that this world has thrown at you and tried to stick to you that you don't want stuck on you anymore. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody. That's it. Purity is living the way that God wants us to live, not the way the world tells us we can live. Let me tell you something. I don't need a law to make murder illegal because murder is not in my heart. I will not murder a person because Jesus is in my heart. You don't have to make a statutory written man law because it's already imprinted on my heart. 
Are you with me? That's the kingdom of God. That's what we need. Live a life of purity. You will find impure people in this world. They will be around you. Some of them are in your family. But you cannot let their impurity stop you from pursuing the pure things of God. Do not let someone else's dirt become your dirt. Amen. Live for Jesus. Live right. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep growing. Keep moving. And then we talked about honor. Very important. Honor is key to everything. If you honor something in the kingdom of God, it will come upon your life. Because the Bible says if you honor God, he will honor you. How many people would like the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth to give honor to your life? When you, have, when you walk in the honor of the Lord, even when you screw up, anybody in here ever screwed up before? I have a saying in my life, things accidentally work out good for me. Because they do. I can screw up and it still turns out good for me. Why? Because I honor God with my life and the Lord's like, I got you. You're stupid. I, I. <laughs> and that's freeing because you can't know every single thing. You can't figure everything out. The people that live stressed and in fear, constantly in bondage, just live knowing God's on my side. It's going to work out good. If you believe it? Amen. Amen. That's right. I love it. Now today I'm talking about joy. If you are married and you are depressed that you are married, we need to get you into counseling. Because marriage is not supposed to give you depression. It's like my father-in-law said. He was in a meeting and the power of God was falling. People are laughing. He came up to a lady and he said, have joy. She said, I had the joy, sonny boy. And he says, what happened? She said, I lost her to 1986. He said, what happened in 1986? She says, I got married. It's a true story. That's not how you're supposed to live. Marriage should be joyful. There's times marriage is like, they push your buttons, you know what I'm saying? But that's the beauty of marriage. That's what makes it exciting. You've married someone that knows how to push her. I used to push her buttons just because when she gets mad, she speaks in a South African accent. And I like that. So I'd be like, eh, 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 eh. And then she'd fire off in South African, and I'd be like, ooh, I love it. She's like, hot. And I'm like, yeah, mm, say it again. What are you going to do? <laughs> Listen here, man. Oh, yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> I wrote my list. So if you, if, who's, who's single out there and you have the list? Tell the truth. You got a list of who you're believing God for your prayer list? One person, two people, three people, four people. Come on. It took you. Thank you for being bold. Everybody else is like. <laughs> We've established why you're single. <laughs> hey, what's your name? If you don't say hello, odds are you're not going to have a date with them. So my list was simple. I wrote, I want to marry a foreigner. And so I married a South African. I wrote, I wanted to marry a royal line. So she's basically a princess of the Lord, plus a hierarchy. You know, her father's a general in the body of Christ. 
And I wrote, I wanted her to be wealthy. So still working on that one. Her list is entirely different. On her list at the top of the list was no blondes. <laughs> And the Lord's like, sucker! <laughs> so, if you want joy, learn to be flexible, people. <laughs> no blondes. When I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> I felt hurt. I felt hurt. I dyed my hair the next day. You were 12. She was 12. Okay. Why did you not like blondes at 12? Okay. There was a bad blonde out there. Probably not even a legit blonde. Probably bleach blonde. Probably a fake blonde. Because real blonde people are cool. <laughs> people are taking notes right now. I'm actually impressed by that. I'm not exactly certain what you're writing down, but go with it. Stop bleaching hair time to be real time to get rid of the fake father forgive me for bleached hair all right I got a really important question to ask you like genuinely speaking do you consider yourself to be a happy person are you happy or is most of your life you, you're looking for what you don't have. You're, you're single and miserable, or you're married and miserable, or you're working but don't like your job, or you have a career but you wish you'd done something else, or you, you never get to do what you want to do. These are the things that go on unspoken all the time in the body of Christ. And the reality is then people come to God, and they get into the church world, and they want to serve God, and they love God, and they have encounters with His presence, but somewhere along the way it switches from the freedom of His presence to the work mentality to please God. That I go to church because I have to go to church. I really want to sleep in. I'm tired, but the Lord would not be, uh, so I'm going to go. And it gets to this mentality where you slowly shift from the sheer joy of the kingdom of heaven to the works mentality of trying to appease the Father above because in your mind there's a checklist and you've screwed up a lot. And so how much does he love you? How much does he care? And are you doing things right? Because you look at other people and it looks like the Lord favors them more than you do. So then the joy of the kingdom is eradicated from your life and you begin to just serve God from an empty place. That is religion. Religion is when you're serving God to escape punishment. Relationship is what Jesus came to give you. Where you serve him because you have a genuine relationship that is two-way, that is a blessing to your life, that fills you with joy, that he speaks to you when you feel down, that he encourages you and lifts you up, that he protects and guards you, that he watches over you, and that he pours fresh oil and fresh wine from heaven upon your life so that even when times are tough, you have a joy that is unshakable. Amen. And that is the strength of the kingdom of God, that you can put whatever puppet you want in the White House. And I said it. You can put whatever Joe Smo in the White House that you want to, but you cannot steal our joy. You can make whatever law. You can threaten whatever you want to threaten. You can do whatever you want to do. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I will not be robbed of that strength. If you're strong in here, say amen. Now, it's not about politics. It's about the kingdom. But today, 
on Revelations 19, 7 through 8. This has been our foundational scripture for this series. Let's read it. It says, let us be glad and rejoice. Who's glad and rejoicing? Okay, if I was to say to you, show me what joy looks like, what would you show me? Somebody get those guys a t-shirt. That's, yeah, her name is Joy. Hi, Joy. It's a running joke around the office. Um, what would rejoicing look like? You're like rejoicing. You're excited. What does that look like? Like if I was to do a surprise birthday party for my wife, you know, and it's like, surprise. Would she walk away and be like, man, he was like so delighted that I was there. Or would she be like, there's serious issues in our marriage and we need to go to counseling. So the Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Amen. God, God bless the reading of his word. We're talking about being joyful. Psalm 28.7 to kick it off. Psalm 28.7. You should write this down. Put it on your refrigerator. It says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all of my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. Say joy. joy. And then it says, I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Yes. Come on, somebody. When's the last time you burst out in song of thanksgiving to the Lord? Just look at your neighbor right now and burst out in song. Oh, it's getting real. And people are like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Let me give you a key. Always start with the word well and drag it out till you get another word. Well, well, the Lord is good and he gives me lots of things and he's always there for me and he's king of everything. Well, I got, oh, I got, I wrote one down. Oh, I wrote one down. Woo. Well, Jesus made me glad and I want you all to know he fills me up with joy and my face will surely show. <laughs> I'm always singing badly around people. The Lord didn't give me a good singing voice, but he gave me the ability to sing. And my children are the same way. I'll hear them all the time. Emma's just singing little songs to the Lord. Fill your life with joy. Sing a new song to the Lord. It doesn't have to be good. It's not going on a record. You're not trying to get on Spotify. If you are, if you've got my talent level and you're trying to get on Spotify, let's have a, like a serious talk. Like that is not what the Lord has graced you to do. Okay. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Well, well. I'm pushing people's buttons right now, I feel like. <laughs> Seriously, like, if you can't sing a song to the Lord, then you need to do it from faith. Break that thing over your life and just start singing to the Lord. And it's fun. You start laughing. You start crying. You're like having revival while you're cleaning your toilet. <laughs> it's like an altar all of a sudden. It's powerful, people. It's a key to living the life full of joy, tapping into joy unspeakable. Joy is your strength. You let your joy level decline, you're going to be weak. If you're weak, you're going to get pushed around in this world by the things of darkness. You're not made to be pushed around by darkness. You're made to look at dark things and say, get out of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 63, 6 says, I lie awake thinking of you 
meditating on you through the night. We're talking about relationship. When you have a relationship with someone that you are in love with, this is natural, right? You fall in love with someone. You lie awake at night on the phone until you're married and then they're there with you. But you're on the phone till 2 o'clock in the morning. We have a, a, a Nashville number because when we started dating, I had to buy her a cell phone on my plan because at that time you had to pay for minutes. And then the, on my plan, we could talk unlimited. <laughs> so we still have 615. She wasn't in Nashville, but I was. And so we would talk for hours. You hang up. No, you hang up. What are you doing? Same thing I was doing three minutes ago when we hung up. <laughs> I was like, 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 there's like no meat to the conversation at all. When we go into counseling, we actually sit people down and like, all right, let's talk about like kids. Let's talk about money. Because you haven't had any of those conversations. You've just been like, <laughs> like that. we know that stage. That's a beautiful stage. Keep that stage. Amen. I lie awake. This is the psalmist talking about the Lord. Not talking about anybody. He says, I lie awake at night thinking about you. When we talk about the joy of the Lord being your strength, is it a joyful relationship you have with God? Or is it a works one? Is it one that it's like your parents had this relationship, they always went to church, and so I always go to church? Or is it this type of relationship where you're so in love with God that you lie awake thinking about Him at nighttime? It's like I realized in Bible college as I was chasing down the Lord, I would go to bed and all I would do is I was falling asleep as I'd be talking to the Lord. I'd just be like, oh, Jesus, oh, I love you. Jesus, thank you for today. All this stuff. And I'd fall asleep. And then I'd wake up and the first thought in my mind was, good morning, Lord. How are you doing today? Thank you for today. What do you have in store for me today? What can I do for you today, Lord? And it's like going down, rising up, going down, rising up. He's the last thing I'm thinking of. He's the first thing I think about. Amen. It's a beautiful relationship. Then it's not striving. It's not works. It's just genuine relationship. Serving the devil is hell. It's hell on your finances. It's hell on your body. It's hell on your marriage. It's hell on your health. But serving God is heaven. Heaven released in your life. People come into the kingdom of God. They get saved. And 20 years later, they're telling people that, you know, it's great when you get saved. But hold on. Because now that you're saved, the devil's going to attack you. Ever heard these lessons? Oh, yeah, I remember it. Just get ready because the devil's going to attack you now. And people live in such spiritual warfare mentality. Every day is like a battle. You've never had a date with Jesus because you're too busy putting on makeup in the mirror. And be like, come on, devil, I'll take you down. <laughs> Seriously, we, we, uh, we got accused by a big church that we love. Was not, we're not upset with them. Okay, hear me out. They're awesome. But they said, the river, they just are that bunch of joyous, fun-loving group. We're a spiritual warfare church. And they said it kind of in a derogatory term. But I was like, praise God, we are the joy of fun-loving people. Like, if I'm going to be known for something, it's not that every day I'm striving to get some level in the kingdom of God that I wake up and I'm full of joy because God is on my side and you can't stop me. Amen. Oh, they're that joyful. They just laugh a lot. Amen, we do. <laughs> you should try it. <laughs> Bunch of dusty coughing people. One joke and they're like, <laughs> dust comes out of their thing. You ain't laughed in 27 years. <laughs> I should stick to my notes more often. But serving God should be a delight. 
serving the devil is the hard way in life. Anybody that tries to bring you a form of Jesus that says now it's going to be harder than it was before is not mature in the kingdom of God because serving God is easier than any other type of life you will do. Trust me on this. It's the blessings overtake you. That means you don't have to even look for the blessings. They overtake you. Amen. His mercies are new each morning. So you screwed up Friday night, but his mercies are new each morning because you genuinely love the Lord. You cry out to God. His forgiveness comes. His empowerment comes. And your life is right back on the right track again. Amen. You don't have to lie in bed at night thinking about what is the devil doing. You lie in bed thinking about how good God is. And how grateful you are that you are in a peaceful home. There's joy in your heart. You can trust God. And even if you were taken out and didn't wake up in the morning, you're going to heaven anyways. You know? Like, it's good. Have joy. Say joy. So, choose joy. Philippians 4.4 says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Amen? So what does rejoicing look like? Come on, stir it up. Psalm 47.1 says, come on, everybody. Actually says, come, everyone, but you kind of like got to have a modern American twist to come on, everybody. Clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. I don't know what accent that is. Don't, don't even try and identify it. Clap your hands and shout to God with joyful praise. When's the last time you did that? The last time you're mowing the lawn, you just start singing to the Lord. And you're like, "Woo!" Shouting joyful praise. We go through trials, yes. But in trials, the Bible still says, count it all joy. When you go through divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. Amen? Amen. So how do I get strong? By counting everything as joy. By realizing I serve God now. I serve God now. That means that whatever financial level would have been the greatest level I could have achieved on my own is now totally blown out because God breaks every boundary in my life. That means that however good my marriage could have been without God, it can be infinitely better than that now. That even if I had struggles before, now what was a hard marriage will become a delight because God is in my life. Come on, what, what, what struggles I used to have in my body? Now I can look to the Lord and he will remove those things from my life as far as the east is from the west. What addictions used to drive me? Come on, I serve God. He pushes those addictions from my life. They're not my identity. I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sentenced to it from, from the law, what, what, the police, the, the court. I have a rocky pass. And one of the things they teach you is that to say, I am an alcoholic. Today, physically I feel, emotionally I feel, spiritually I feel, and you're supposed to give an adjective. And when I got saved, I realized how demonic that is. That you're teaching people to always identify as an alcoholic. That is not the scripture. That is not the God you serve. That is a person that was dead and gone. You are not that person anymore. A thousand generations in your bloodline could have that problem. But it is not your problem. Because you belong to the Lord. Hallelujah. You believe it? Shout amen. Come on, rejoice. Rejoice. I love it. The Bible talks about the devil is like a roaming lion seeking whom he may destroy. 
King James is not my natural tongue. <laughs> I'm more of a message version type of guy. So the Bible speaks about the devil like a lion seeking to take people out. He wants to beat you up. He wants to drag you into addiction. He wants to drag you into depression. He wants to drag you into bondage. He wants to destroy your life. He wants you sick. He wants you broke. He wants you blind. He wants you uh, just, just going along with whatever he wants to do. And that's not what God came to give you in your life. Everything hell tries to bring, God severed that and gives you the opposite. Amen? When the devil wants you blind, God gives you greater sight. So now you don't just see with your eyes. You see through your spirit. Amen? You know things. You hear things. You hear his voice. The devil wants you deaf. God gives you spiritual ears to hear the unseen world and hear instructions from heaven. Amen? And so the Bible talks about that, that the devil is like a lion. But there are two lions in Scripture. Amen? Because in, in Psalm, it talks about you will trample, Psalm 91, famous Scripture, you'll trample upon the lions and the serpents. Well, what did the devil show up like? In, the, in Genesis, he showed up like a serpent in the garden. To deceive people. And then the Bible says he's like a lion roaming around to destroy or devour people's lives. But the Bible in Psalms says you will trample upon the lion and the serpent. Amen? Amen. And the second lion in scripture is the lion that you serve. And his name is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Are you with me? Who's, who's grateful for the lion of the tribe of Judah? But do you know what Judah means? It means praise. So who is he? He's the lion of the tribe of praise. So if you're a tribe of praise, then ye is the lion that you serve. And you have victory in your life. And you will trample over every other lion and every other servant. Serpent, if you have praise, never let the devil steal your praise. If you feel depressed, shout out loud, amen. No, not right in the, my God. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying in life, and I think you've got it. You're going through a heavy moment. That's not the time to let your mouth be quiet. That's not the time to sit there and, and feel ashamed or feel like God's not on your side or seek out some prayer line. The first thing you need to do is open your mouth and begin to praise God until you break past that invisible barrier trying to keep you down and break into the realms of glory where the presence of God fills you afresh and joy bubbles up and overflows and whatever problem you're facing will be dealt with in 10 seconds flat. You believe it? I believe it. Psalm 27, 6 says, I will hold my head up high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Amen? People are like, why do you have such long worship? Because long worship breaks us into realms of joy and victory. Amen? It's one of the main things we do. When we started this church, the Lord said the power's in the pew. Pew stands for the prophetic, evangelism, and worship. That if you focus on those three areas, worship is us touching God. The prophetic is God touching us back. And evangelism is what we do with that touch to this world. We will turn the world upside down. Come on. But you got to have all three firing. It's not just come out and just do works, do works, do works and never get filled up. Come into the presence of the Lord and get your cup to overflow. Amen. See, people come into the presence of the Lord and they look at people that get drunk on the new wine or are full of joy in church laughing. And they, they get offended. They say it's weird. But 
if you were before, maybe you don't do this now, but you probably used to drink alcohol and you'd do all sorts of stupid stuff. If you could have been a sober version of you watching your stupid drunken self say, hold my beer and see what you're about to do, you'd be like, that is stupid. Why am I doing that? I had a friend in high school. I, was in, I, was a, I drank a lot. And my friend in high school never drank. He didn't touch it because his dad was an alcoholic. So he was, he was like never going to touch alcohol. But he would come to parties and he would go, he would just do stupid stuff because he's like, when people get drunk, you can do whatever you want. So he would jump on people from trucks and he'd just be, and I'd be like, are you drinking? He's like, no, man, I don't drink. But look, everybody's so drunk. They don't know what's going on. He'd do it just to pick on people because drunk people do stupid things. But in the kingdom of God, drunk people on the new wine are filled with power and they do things the devil cannot understand that leads them into victory. Amen. We say, what are those things that they do? Take the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit fell, the Bible says that they were like drunken men on the streets and it was noised abroad. They were stumbling around, full of joy, speaking in tongues, and everybody heard it in their own language. And they mocked them and said, these people must be drunk. They looked ridiculous to a natural person. But what happened was Peter, the same one that denied Christ Jesus because he was scared of man, now after an encounter with the Holy Spirit and tapping into this realm was so bold he was able to stand up and preach the gospel with such power that 3,000 people were saved that day. Were 3,000 or two? Three. Thank you. 3,000 people. So what is it? It's the kingdom of God operating in you. That God is a king, a, God, a king of joy. That when you have joy in your life, it's not works. It's not striving. It's fueling you up along the way. Amen. Serving God should be a sheer delight in your life. If you don't have that delight, we're going to break that open in Jesus' name. The kingdom of heaven, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. Amen. Thank God for that. You can eat Hardee's. You can eat McDonald's. You can even eat kale. And the Lord will still fill you up. Amen. I actually like kale. I pick on kale, but I actually have kale nearly every day in my life. So anyways, moving on. But it's fun to pick on kale. You know what I'm saying? Because kale can't fight back. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Psalm 23, 5 through 6. You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, the oil of joy, and my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Who is grateful for a cup that overflows? Acts 5, or Acts 8, 5 through 8. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. And many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city, the Bible says. Why? Because when you drive the devil out of your life, it is joyful. Amen? Anything the enemy has in your life, God came to set you free from. Not so that you spend 70 years fighting the same thing. He came to sever that thing once and for all and give you freedom in your life so that you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? One of my favorite scriptures that I meditate on every year of my life is Ecclesiastes 2.26 in God's Word trans- translation. It says, God gives wisdom 
knowledge, and joy to anyone who pleases him. Amen? Who in here ever did something and you're like, I need more wisdom in my life? One of the greatest things I learned from a mighty man of God is every day I ask God, give me the wisdom to do the right things today, to go to the right places, say the right things, and do the right things. Because if I operate from always asking for wisdom, then I'm going to walk and operate from way beyond my average year or, or my best even in myself. I operate in God's kingdom in that principle. And the Bible says you can ask of wisdom and God gives liberally to anybody that asks as long as you ask in faith. And the Bible here in Ecclesiastes says he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to anyone who pleases him. But to the person who continues to sin... He gives the job of gathering and collecting wealth. The sinner must turn his wealth over to the person who pleases God. This is Ecclesiastes 2.26. So what does that mean? It means serve God, love God. You'll have joy. You'll have wisdom. And people that have a hard heart to God will strive their entire life but rejoice because the wealth of the wicked will be turned over into the hands of God's people. You'll never lack any good thing. Amen? If you believe it, shout Amen. amen. Who in here can say serving God, you've actually grown in a level of, of, of even just prosperity in your life? Some of you is literally just because you're not spending money on addictions anymore. I mean, what are cigarettes now? Like $10 a pack or something stupid. If you put if people that have smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, if they were to put that in an investment fund, they'd be millionaires in 20 years. If God just severs those things off of your life. We tell people, we, we save thousands of dollars on cruises because we don't touch alcohol. Everybody else is like drinking, drinking, drinking. We're just sipping on water. Which they do charge for water, but it's not the same price. And we stay young looking. Amen? I'm grateful for that. I say, why don't you touch it? Because I don't need it. Because I have a joy that's not found in a bottle found in the decanters of heaven that pour from the wine of God. In fact, Joel says, weep and howl, you drinkers of the old wine, for because of it, the new wine will be cut off from your lips. Study it. That's in the Bible. Say, well, why? Why do you not want to touch it? Because I would rather have the joy of the Lord than a, than a temporary joy from a bottle. That wakes up and gives me a headache. And I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head here. But the Bible says that. And so I listen to the Bible. I would rather say no to old wine. And say yes to new wine. And I'd rather be picked on as being a wild Christian. But at least I got joy. Amen. And it ain't manufactured joy. I don't have to snort nothing. Pop nothing. Sip nothing. Buy nothing. I don't need an ID. Come on. You don't have to go up to heaven and be like. Yo I got 20, 21. Like it pours out in your life. That's awesome, right? Yes. You'll save thousands of dollars if you grab a hold of this. And you'll stay young looking, healthy, all because of serving God is better than serving the devil. The devil is a liar. Get thee behind. Anything the devil props up is a good thing. You can rest assured it's a bad thing. All right. Anyways, moving on. This is as popular as like, I don't know. Talking about guns in the bookstore. <laughs> that was more popular. But trust the Lord. Tap into the kingdom of heaven. You know, the Bible says, well, it does, in Joel, it says that because when the day of Pentecost came, it says that this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. And it says in Joel, 
that weep and out, you drinkers of the old wine, for because of it, the new wine is cut off of your lips. But it also goes on to say, I wanted to see what Joel said about the new wine. Let me see if I can find the scripture. And this really blessed me when I found it. So that's why I'm stopping to do this, because I think it'll minister to somebody here. Okay. Joel was what was spoken about on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit fell, they were all filled with, with, with the Spirit. There was tongues of fire that sat upon each of them, which is a purification process that Malachi prophesied about, uh, that he said, he is the refiner's fire. Who can withstand his day of coming? For he's like the refiner's fire or a purifier of soap. He purified those people that day through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is supplement, supplemental to salvation. Because the Bible says that when Jesus walked with the people, he gave them power over sickness and everything. So they had power in that capacity. But when Jesus ascended and came back, it says, the Bible says, he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So what was that? That was salvation because Jesus had now died and he had rose again victorious. And the working of the Holy Spirit is the only way you will become born again. You're born again by the Spirit. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus when he said, you know, I don't understand it. How can you be born twice? And he said, you're born again by the Spirit. That's born again. But Jesus still told those exact same people that he breathed upon and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, now go and wait in Jerusalem. Are you with me? So there's a supplemental thing there. It's not you got it all because you walked with Jesus one time. Jesus said, go and tarry in Jerusalem and wait until you be endued with power. All right? So then they go. They're in one place and in one accord. And they're pressing in to the things of God. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, the Bible says. So it wasn't like three people were like, I think Jesus is here. And the rest of them were like, I don't know. It was like 120 people were like, something's happening. <laughs> Are you, that's what we live for. Amen. I want to be in a room with 2,000 people when everybody's like, something's happening. Not like two people like, this saith the Lord, there's a breath of heaven about to blow. You know, that's great. But I like to be in the moment where everybody's so intensely pressing into God and in agreement that we don't care about anything other than his presence right now, that that's where we're going to get to. And then the glory of God comes so strong that the place is shaken. Rushing mighty wind, clothing tongues of fire. I mean, when's the last time you were in a service and you look over and fire's leaping on people? Say never. Well, then there's an issue there, right? That tells you that as wild as anybody labels this church, we're not wild enough. There's still something for us to get to. If you're okay with that, shout amen. I want that. There's a spirit man on the inside of you that goes past this brain that cries out, there's more. There's more. God is greater than anything I could ever imagine, and I want that more. Amen. And I want this place to shine. I mean, how great would it be the tent just lifts up and blows away? And we're all in here like, something's happening. <laughs> At which case, it's noised abroad, too. Because not only did the 120 people know something happened, thousands of people on the street knew something's happening in Jerusalem. They mocked them. They made fun of them. But they gave their hearts to the Lord that moment, that day. Because when God shows up, whoa. Ha. But Peter gets up. They're like, what is this? He says, this is that. This is that. Spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Are you flesh today? Yeah. So then God, whew, 
I'm grabbing this right now. If I fall down as I preach, it's okay. Y'all just go on and just nod your heads. Your flesh, which means God wants to pour unlimited upon your life, the spirit of the living God, as much as you want to handle. But he spoke about it. So one day I was reading this and I said to the Lord, well, if Joel's what was prophesied, I want to know what Joel said about the, the coming of the spirit of God. And so I went to the book of Joel and I read the entire book. It's all about the end days. It's all about the end time move of God, the army of the Lord marching through the land, shoulder to shoulder, everybody in their rank, nobody breaking rank. So it's a a place in the kingdom of God where we're not concerned about titles. We're not concerned about ranks. We're not concerned about who's in control because he's in control. And it's the end time move of God. But in Joel 3, it goes on to talk about the new wine. And it says... In verse 18, it shall come to pass in that day. We're living in that day today. Amen? Are you with me? The day of the new wine, the outpouring of God. The mountains shall drop down new wine. The hills will flow with milk. Amen? From a dairy farmer's perspective, that's awesome. And the rivers of Judah which will flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. And it shall water the valley of Shittim, is what the Bible says. It's in the Bible. And when I read that, the joy of the Lord hit me. Because I was like, that's what the joy is for. So that when you're going through the valley of Shittim, (laughs) there's a washing from the Lord. I didn't know this was in the Bible. I read that. I couldn't even stop laughing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, look it up. Joel chapter 3, verse 18. You're going through and you're like, man, I'm going through what? What are you going through? I'm going through a valley... And it's like shittim. That's what the new wine's for. Listen, one day I'm going into Texas, all right? On the, on the, on the whole valley of, 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 you know, bad times. And I'm walking into this church service and the Lord tells me, I want you to preach on joy. Anytime you preach on joy, you are taking a chance. Because you're like, God, please show up. You know, the last thing you want to do is be like, ha, ha, ha. And people are like, So I hear the Lord, and I'm like, all right, I'm preaching on joy tonight. And I think I told my wife that, so now I'm held to it because I said it out loud. I walk into the lobby, and I walk right into six women bawling their eyes out. I'm talking not like wailing out loud. I said, what's going on? Her, her fiancé just went through a complicated surgery. He's actually in a coma. He's not going to come out of it. And this woman's just broken, crying. And I'm like... Oh, thanks a lot, God. You know, preach on joy. This is going to go over like a, like a, a wet balloon or whatever they say. Wet blanket, thank you. Lead balloon. Then, so I get in the service, and I'm literally fighting with the Lord in the pulpit. Like, no, I'm not doing it, God. Like any other subject than joy right now. Because it had moved into the sanctuary and there's a whole group of people crying. And if you ever had to preach through people welling and crying, it's not exactly like the easiest moment of your life. And so the Lord was like, son, I told you to preach on joy. Do I need to get another preacher? And I was like, no, I'll do it. It was probably the most unexcited message I've ever given about joy. Like God will give you joy in, in tough times. And then after preaching on joy, nobody had responded anyway. The Lord said, 
Ask the people who needs joy right now. So I'm like, who needs joy right now? And of course, this lady whose fiance's in a coma is the hand that raises up. So I ignore her. I'm like, you know, I'm like in the pulpit trying to squint my eyes like I can't see. Like, anybody? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? So then another hand comes up, and I'm like, thank God. So I start walking to that guy. This guy's like seven foot two. The biggest black guy I'd ever seen. And he was standing there like this, like he was a, like a security guard with his arms crossed, staring at me, and he just raises his hand. So I walk up to him, and one look at him, I was like, I'm going back to the lady. <laughs> like, he didn't look happy at all either. Like, it's like, God, did you give me the most depressed people on the planet? So I went to this lady, and I was like, God, whew, I thank you for joy. And I grab her, and I was like, just laugh like this. Say, ha, ha, ha. He, he, he. Ho, ho, ho. And this little lady, she's like, ha, ha, ha. He, he, he. I'm like trying to cover my microphone. Then suddenly, 10 seconds in, the power of God hits this lady. She starts laughing. She starts dancing. She's jumping up and down. All her posse of crying sisters, just the joy hit them. I look at big seven foot two Goliath, you know, Mr. T in the corner. I'm like, you're next. I ran out of that dude. He's laughing before I got there. Then it hit this whole row of kids and all the kids are rolling the ground. The power of God wrecked the place. What does that mean? It means... The joy of the Lord is not just something you talk about when you feel good. It's something you tap into when you need something from God. Hey, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's real. Say it's real. It's real. The kingdom of heaven is real. And it's not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I was preaching in Alaska. Some of you heard this testimony. And I greeted this man when he came in the church because I like to hover around the back and talk to people. And I, I put out my hand. He totally stood me up. You know that moment when people won't even shake your hand and you're like, okay. I put my hand out. He just looks at me, sees the hand and walks on. So he sits right in the front row. I'm like, he would sit in the front row. So I preached that night and the Lord told me, preach on joy. So I'm preaching on joy. The whole place is laughing. Except for this one guy. He is glaring at me on the front row. And so I said, who needs joy? And of course, everybody else is laughing. He gets up and he says, I need joy. So I went and I prayed for him. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And nothing happened to this guy. I told him, ha, 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 he, 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 ho, ho, ho. Ha, 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 he, he. He's like, ha, 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 he, he. Over 10, 10 minutes. If you could imagine sitting in a service when a preacher's praying for someone for 10 solid minutes, people are leaving the church. People are walking out. People are like, this is the most uncomfortable thing I've ever been in. Finally, the guy decided, I'm done, and I'm just going to fall down so that this preacher leaves me alone. So he falls down, and I was grateful for that. We could move on. The next day, he didn't come to church, and I was like asking people, what happened to that guy? The next day, he came into the service that night. His face was beaming with joy. He ran up to me and hugged me, and I said, what's going on? He said, brother, I got to tell you what happened. He's like excited. Here's Mr. Stoic to Mr. Outgoing overnight. 
And he says, you, nothing happened when you prayed for me. And he said, I went home, I laid down in bed, and he said, suddenly I started laughing, and I couldn't stop laughing. He said, I laughed all through the night. And he said, I didn't even get any sleep. I laughed all through the night till the time I had to go to work. I laughed all through work. And he says, I would have been here last night, but I had to work. And he's like, I, my whole life changed. Now listen to this. He said, let me tell you what happened to me. Now this is why this matters, and this is why I'll preach on joy, and you can say what you want. But you don't know what people are going through. You see a person laughing and you think they look ridiculous. They could have been suicidal one week ago. This guy says at 21 years old, he was in his 40s, 21 years old, he was out drinking with a friend in the middle of the night and they ran over a little boy in a van. And he said, I, we hit the kid. My friend fled the scene of the accident so that he wouldn't go to jail. I got out on that roadside and I picked that little boy up in my arms. He was 12 years old. I ran all the way into town to the hospital, knocked on the door, got them to look at him, and he died in the middle of the night, the middle of the night. And he said, I made an oath to God that I would never touch alcohol another day in my life. And he says, I was true to that oath. And he says, I've never drank another drop of alcohol. But such depression came upon me. And the guilt of that moment, I was never able to break. And he said, when you asked for joy, he said, I knew I needed joy. But he said, I didn't think the Lord even would give me joy because of what I had done. And so he said, when you prayed for me, it wasn't that I was resisting. He said, in my mind, I thought I was unworthy to even have joy because of the things that I've done in my life. He said, when I laid down at night, the power of God hit me and I began to laugh and it broke all of that stuff off of my life. Guys, you got to realize God did not get you saved so that you could live a miserable life, barely getting by, hoping for heaven. He got you saved, washed, cleansed, so you could have joy here right now, every day of your life. If you believe it, say amen. In his presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16 says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. He maintains my lot. The lines are falling upon me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord Always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices, my flesh rests in hope. For you will never leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer from the Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of the Lord... There is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Sheer delight is found when you find him. In this world, we supplement ourselves with alcohol and pills, trying to obtain a fake feeling of serenity or peace or joy. But in the presence of the Lord, the real deal becomes your reality. Amen. It's impossible to be miserable in the presence of the Lord. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy is an overflow. Amen? Amen. How do I get joy in my life? You choose joy. Because the Bible says, with joy shall you draw from the wells of salvation. The complete work of Christ is already done. But are you living it? And does your mind know the complete restoration power of God? With joy you draw from the depths of what God has done in your life. Kenneth Hagin said, the world needs to learn to receive Jesus and the church needs to learn to receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Amen? So don't shut down God just because you don't get it. 
There's a lot of things God does that you don't get. You with me? I look at some of the people God uses. And not that I'm, I think I'm a great person. But I look at some of the people God uses and I'm like, I would have never used that person. And I'm just being honest. You say, well, how can you say that? Because some people God uses, they don't seem very nice to me. They seem like very mean people. And I'm like, why would you use a mean person? They're meanies. I'm Mr. Nice Guy. I'm like big teddy bear guy sometimes. God uses them. There's a lot of things God does that you don't get. But let the Lord be the God of joy in your life every single day. If you've been battling with depression, today I want to pray with you. And the Lord will break that off of your life. If you come from a long line of people... That for whatever reason, joy has not been something in your household. Then today that will be broken. And your house will be a house filled with laughter. With fun times and joyous times. Whether you have a lot or have a little. You have the Lord on your side. Amen. Amen. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear. And they will be filled with joy and gladness. This is Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 is a prophetic chapter speaking about the return of Israel back to the promised land after they've been gone into captivity. The entire chapter is actually prophetically speaking about Jesus Christ coming to redeem his chosen people. And the entire chapter speaks about the joy of the day that Christ will come. Jesus the Messiah brought joy. When he was born, what did the angels say? Great dreams I give you. Great peace I give you. He said, tidings of great joy do I bring to you. For today, the Savior, the Son of the Messiah, is born in the city of David. His name is Jesus. Jesus brought joy to this world. Joy that this world cannot take from you. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. He's the river of joy, the river of peace, and the river of life. But we're talking about a marriage. The bride should be a joyous bride. In marital counseling, most people get married in America because they fall in love and they think that they found the perfect person to be with them. Amen? Maybe not perfect, but they found someone to spend their life with. And they're full of love. But along the way, sometimes joyous relationships get not joyous anymore. Sometimes people that were once in love can't stand to be around each other. We see it, sadly, too much in this nation because we think that everybody's perfect or everybody's going to do what we want them to do. And that's ultimately why many marriages get onto a negative place where joy is no longer a part of the relationship. But now it's works, it's striving, it's dedication, trying to make this thing work all the time. It's based upon unrealistic expectations. You with me? Your spouse is not perfect. Stop trying to make them perfect. You are far from perfect. Look in the mirror and realize they have to put up with that. Right? The moment you start feeling really cool, look in the mirror and you're like, oh, okay, yep, I'm right. She's got to deal with that. She's great. Unrealistic expectations. One of the main real unrealistic expectations people bring into marriage is one side of the relationship looks at the other side as being their sugar daddy, their always provider, and that they have no part to play in managing the household. God is not your sugar daddy. And I started with this. Don't come to God. As though God owes you anything. You want joy in the kingdom of heaven? Then go out and do something with the kingdom of heaven and joy will overflow. 
Joy is when you start doing things for other people, then the joy of the Lord begins to overflow in your life. If you come into every church service and it's always, what is God going to do for me today? What is God going to give me today? I don't know if this word's really meet for me. I don't know if I really need this revelation. And you miss out on the kingdom of God and what God wants to do through you. Your relationship with God will go from joy to works to misery because you have unrealistic expectations. You look at God and you look at God's people and you're like, well, why is God using that person greater? Why has God blessed that person more? Why do they have more? Why do they have this? And then the whole relationship of joy turns to a relationship of comparison where you get upset and you're mad at God because he's not given enough to you. If God never gave you anything else, he's already given you too much. Get it in your spirit. Amen. He's given you everything. Stop being the victim. Stop living the victim mentality. This generation's always trying to identify where they were done wrong. Shut up, grow up, move up, look up. Let's get real. My God, we don't want to sit here and, and, and play patty cake with our misery all the time. Unrealistic expectations in the church and the kingdom of God brings people to a place where it doesn't matter if God gave them a million dollars today. Tomorrow, they're going to be miserable because God gave $10 million to someone else. That's why you got to train yourself. I've taught myself when someone gets a breakthrough in the kingdom of God, I jump up and rejoice with them. The person says, man, you're not going to believe what the Lord did. Someone just bought me a brand new car. I'm like, praise God. I don't even let my mind go to, well, why didn't I get it? I'm like, praise God. I pray you get eight more. Why? Because I choose joy over comparison. God has already done too much for me anyways. I trust me, I'm a blessed person. I'm blessed. The blessings of God overtake me. What's my net worth? My net worth is that when I need something, God gives it to me. That's it. How much are you worth? I'm worth limitless. Amen. I'm worth heaven's riches and resources. And his riches and resources do not run dry. Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times. Job 41.11 says, Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? This is God speaking. Everything under heaven is mine. Just speaking with Chris before the service. There's like a song. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, Blessed be the name. Let me tell you. It's a cool sounding song. But Job got straight rebuked for saying those words. Like God showed up in a tornado of fury to rebuke Job for four chapters. Have you ever read the rebuke of Job? You think you've been rebuked? Read Job's rebuke. You're like, okay, we get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. Job's like, ooh. Job's like, I put my hand over my mouth. I'm an idiot. People are making songs about it because they read the start of the book and didn't read the end of the book. That's what the Lord's saying. That's rubbish. He says, I give. I give abundantly. I give more than enough. I'm El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. I keep pouring out. But if you want to look to me as though I'm the the, the judger or the one that comes against you, when the Israelites complained in the wilderness, God says, what you say about me is who I will be. Whoa, got real up in this Presbyterian church right now. 
What have you been saying about the Lord? He's my joy. He's my strength. He's my comforter. He's my standby. He's my advocate. He's my all in all. He's my Lord. He's my friend. He's my protector. Amen. And he is my supply. And I am well supplied. If you believe it, say amen. All right, I'm wrapping up. I know where people are wanting to run. Listen, Proverbs 12, 4, speaking about we're the bride. You come to God and you treat him like he's your sugar daddy, that he has to always prove himself to you. Proverbs 12, 4 says about a bride like that, a worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. I do not want to be cancer in God's bones. I do not want to be a person that God is always having to deal with as though I'm a sickness. I want to be a person that brings glory to my king. Amen. Choose joy. Any marriage where you're not accountable to the other party for stewarding your belongings, but your outlook is that you owe, they owe everything to you will turn sour. You both took vows to take care of each other. Amen. Amen. Secondly, God is not your scapegoat. In marriages, we see this a lot. Husband promises to do something, no longer wants to do that. Rather than being a man of his word, he says, my wife didn't want me to do it. People in marriages get to this easy place where they blame their spouse for what they're not doing. I had a dream. The Lord gave me, but my husband didn't support the dream. So I'm not going to do it. Stop blaming. And in the kingdom of God, people blame God for what they don't have in their life. Do not blame God for what you have been told to do that you never did. How many times has the Lord ever told you to do something you didn't do it, and later you look back and realize, if I had been obedient to do what the Lord had told me to do, I would have been well blessed by it. How many people, the Lord told you to buy Bitcoin 10 years ago? You know what I'm saying? You're like, Jesus, I'm an idiot. I'd be worth billions. Some people in here probably did buy Bitcoin. If so, take me out to lunch anytime you want to. But stop blaming people. Joy escapes people when they start looking at their life and always trying to pass blame for what they do and don't have. I would have joy, but this happens in my life. I would have health, but this has gone on in my life. And in the body of Christ, we actually get to the point where we blame God. I would have done this, but I feel like the Lord is shifting me to another direction. How many people have heard this terminology before? Prophets actually make money on this terminology, coming in and prophesying you to always change what you're doing. If you change what you're doing every single day of your life, you will get nowhere because you don't even have any history of planting a seed in the ground and letting the thing grow. Stop bouncing here and there. Stop moving to and fro. Stop uprooting yourself every day of your life and blaming God. Well, how come I don't have the blessings of God? Because you're like this. You're like a rabbit bouncing around instead of like a child of God planted in good soil saying, Lord, may I grow and blossom for your glory. Amen. Don't blame God for what you don't have in your life. Everything in your life is the sum total of your decisions and actions up till now. If you don't like where you're at, you can change where you're at by choosing today. I'm going to put more effort in this area and I'll be more consistent in this area. And a year from now, you're going to be in a better location. Do you believe it? So what does the kingdom of God operate in that? The kingdom of God gives you wisdom to know what you should be going after. Is this good? 
So how do I know that what I'm seeking after matters? If God gives you a dream, it's a good dream. Go after that dream. Amen. Trust what God lays before you. But God does not just give it to you. He gives you the talents. He gives you the ability. But if you bury the talent in the ground because you're ashamed to use it or scared you'll lose it, God is not well pleased with that. God is pleased with a person that steps up, puts their hand to a plow, and says, let me do what God has called me to do. And then great things happen in that person's life. If you are not where you want to be, choose today that you're going to make an effort and you're going to go where you need to be so that next year you're going to be well blessed. Amen? Is this okay? I see this all the time in the body of Christ. And I've seen it in ministers that have gone 50 years serving God and never got anywhere. Their message was strong. Their words were strong. But they were not consistent in the things that God told them to do to build something. Don't be that person. Let God give you the wisdom and the wherewithal to build something for his glory. So that when you leave this earth, if Jesus tarries... You have left a legacy upon the earth of the righteousness of God and the blessing of heaven. Amen. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So are you leaving something for your children's children? And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but don't blame God. People blame their spouses for their shortcomings. My wife doesn't want me to do that. My wife wouldn't let me do that. I would do this, but this. And people blame God. I would be there, but the Lord told me to change directions, to do this, to do that. Is it really the Lord or is it your emotions? Man, this, it started joyful. Now it's getting, you know, it is very humid. I get that. People blame God for their lack of character. Part of the pruning process of God is that if he loves you, he will chastise you. If you are not loved... By God, then you will never be rebuked by God. But if you're loved by God, he will chastise you. Why is that? It says that you will bear forth more fruit. Yes. Amen? So what does that look like? As you grow in the kingdom of God, when you first got saved, that's real, I'll just hit it. When you first got saved, the first time you probably ever tried tithing, you were blessed ridiculously that week. It's like the moment you even begin to move towards these things. I met a policeman one time. He was like, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister. He says, let me tell you a story. I was going through divorce, all hell's breaking loose. I went to church one day. They talked about tithing. I'd never tithed to the Lord. I tallied up my entire yearly salary, or salary figured out the tithe, and I brought that check to the pastor that day. He said it was, you know, it was a big check for his whole year. The pastor, of course, is like, praise God, you know. And the, this is a police officer. This is a random conversation on the street with a police officer. He says that that week after going through divorce, my wife and I came to an agreement that saved me tens of thousands of dollars. He says, I got a promotion at work of another $30,000. It was like everything. He's like, in one week, he's like, this tithing thing really works. <laughs> I was like, keep it up, bro. Your pastor will love it. God will love it. You will love it. If God's involved, everybody will be blessed. Or when you first get saved, how many people was like, God, if you want me to do this, let this happen. You know, the scapegoat, like, Lord, if you really want me to be at that conference, a yellow bird's going to fly and land on my car. He's going to poop on the window, but the poop won't stick. And then yellow bird flies. You're like, what, what? Oh, oh, poop didn't stick. It's the Lord. <laughs> I hear all the crazy things because when you first get saved, you're like a little baby, okay? When a baby is born 
It's not like you expect the baby. Stop crying. Feed yourself. What's wrong with you? You stink. Take a bath. It's a baby. But as the baby grows up, if the baby is 27 years old and you're still bathing them, Should I even go there? It's like the people that are breastfeeding at 84 months. Stop using months. We are beyond the month stage. 84? He's 84 months. <laughs> when they're playing on an iPad and breastfeeding, we need to have a conversation. Like, I'm all about mother's milk and health, but let's get on to the meat now, okay? His teeth are falling out. I love hitting these things. I love it. 84 months. Mm-hmm, yeah. Some people might call that years old. <laughs> grow up. As you grow... You realize that the Lord is so good to you because when you used to just be able to give a dangling thing like that and God would respond, he stops. He starts letting his character be what drives you forward. And no longer is it a bird that flies and tells you these things. See, this whole generation is, is like brainwashed as though you need a prophet to tell you what to do. Prophets were an Old Testament assignment at that time before the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, they exist. But they exist as an office in the fivefold ministry to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. Are you with me? So that's the reality of it, that you should grow up to where the character of God begins to be what you walk in. And now you don't have to go to God. Lord, give me a green monkey today with a banana and to tell me I'm doing things right. You know the character of your father. You know what he would choose to do. You have his word. You've read his word. It's written on the tablet of your heart. His spirit is on the inside of you. His voice leads you. You follow that and you trust the character of your father. And in that, you tap into realms no one has tapped into before. If you only look at what someone else has done and model it, you can only be a copycat. And God has not called you to be a copycat. He's called you to, to break into something that God is wanting to do in this generation that has never been released before. And you're the one. If you're the one, shout amen. 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 So I prophesy, speaking of prophets, if you grab the word of God, if you make a commitment to heaven to say, I will choose every day to serve God with a joyous heart, a year from now, your life will be better than it is right now. You'll be healthier, you'll be wiser, you'll be even more joyful. Great things will be in your life because God is a God that rewards those that diligently seek him. Are you seeking God? Shout amen. amen. So God is not your scapegoat. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good and the evil that we have done in this earthly body. The blood of Jesus is real, but you will give an account for what you've done in this life. So don't blame God. And don't blame your spouse. Lastly, closing, speaking of joy, when you lose the joy of your relationship with God, you're wanting too much from him with no accountability. You're wanting to blame him for what you don't have or you treat God like he is your slave. God is not anybody's slave. Amen? Psalm 90 verse 17, May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. 
Your spouse is beside you, not behind you. They're your equal. Amen. You want a healthy relationship in this world? Treat your spouse with honor. And your spouse will treat you with honor. And together you will do great things. The Bible says that the covenant is to you every blessing. But in marriage, it says the two become one. So when the two become one, now God deals with a beautiful marriage as though they are one person, one calling. What your spouse carried now becomes something you carry. What you carried now becomes something they carry. And God combines them together so that a thousand can put, or, 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 or what is it? What's the term? One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. It's a beautiful relationship in the kingdom of God. But when you come to God or you go to your spouse and you treat them as though they're your slave, let me tell you, that relationship will not be a joyous relationship. Anybody that's ever been in an abuseful relationship like that, and people come all the time, what justifies divorce? What justifies divorce is if you are living in a relationship that is absolute hell, where you are being beaten or threatened or verbally constantly abused on your life, that is not what Christ came to give you. And that is not a representation of marriage. That covenant is broken, not on your part, but the part of the person that is treating you that way. You're not a slave. You're a child of the Most High God. But when it comes to God, God is not your slave either. People come and they just act like God can do what they, they can make God do whatever they want Him to do. I tell you, God is going to do this. God is going to do that. Learn to let the Spirit of God lead you. It's like I want every single service to be a blowout, people on their faces running around. That's what I live for. But I've learned that sometimes God does another type of thing. And I can't force God. I can't get up and tell people tomorrow 1,800 people are going to be healed. All I can do is get up and preach the word and let the healer do his part. Are you with me right now? Following the voice of the Lord and letting God be the leader of your life is precious. Don't lay before God your plan and tell God he has to bless it. You go to the Lord and say, Father, may I do your will today. May I be led by your spirit today. May anything in my life not pleasing to you be taken away so that I can live a life that is joyous and pleasing to you. That's what I want in my life. God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there should be really an understanding of if I'm going to follow God, i got to really genuinely look to God as my Savior, but also as my Lord. And a lot of people want Him as a Savior, but they don't want Him as a Lord. They don't want God to have access to tell you what to do. But if you learn to listen to God's voice and let God tell you where you should go and what you should do, you're going to tap into something so many believers don't even tap into because they live their life through their five senses alone. And then they don't have a place for God. When you got born again, there was supposed to be a spirit birthed on the inside of you that now begins the one to be the one that leads you. For as many as are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. It's like a whole realm in the spirit that I believe that this church is starting to scratch the surface of but it's going to get deeper and it's something that I've seen in my spirit where I I feel like we do so many things because we're programmed this is what church should look like but I believe there's a place in the spirit of God we get to where everybody here begins to carry something so heavenly that people can be healed whether there's music going whether there's a preaching going but because you carry it on the inside because you're going after God and you're just not ashamed and you're free in that relationship and you love God you love God you love his presence and because of that love you just push in and you push in for more of heaven more of heaven and when God sees that 
It's like heaven begins to respond to that. Think about a relationship if you're the bride. Well, how do you get your husband to do something you want him to do? You come in, you bat your eyes, you, bet, you love him, you make him think it's his idea, and then he does it. You train up a husband in the way that he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from this. Come on, ladies. Just let him feel like he's the head. No, when it comes to God, it's the same thing. You bestow praise on him. You love him. You you cherish him. You spend time in his presence. And then the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings becomes that bridegroom that wraps you in his arms and carries you forward, protecting you, providing for you, supplying your every need, and pouring out the kingdom of God in you and through you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.